welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. There are many showmen in the hairdressing industry, whether they're referred to as platform artists, hairdressing rock stars or celebrity hairdressers. And my guest on today's podcast can more than hold his own with the very best of them. But today's guest is known for his humility, his passion, his authenticity, and for being a great educator. Quite simply, teaching is his passion. In today's podcast, we will discuss the changes happening in education, the role of social media and salons in education, and the personal skills of success, and lots more. So, without further ado, let's jump straight in and talk to our guest today, multi-awarded hairdresser and Redken Global Artistic Ambassador, Mr. Sam Veer. Welcome to the show, Sam. Anthony, it is a pleasure and an honor to have the uh, time to share with you and your listeners, but I'm really excited about the, some of the topic, topics we're going to talk about, and thank you so much for that great introduction. Well, my pleasure. I mean, it's, uh, it, I, I mean every word of it, and it's so good to finally have this opportunity to connect. Uh, I know it's been a, a, a little while in the coming, so um, uh, without further ado, let's, let's uh, jump straight into it. Um, where should we start? Can I, can I get you to start with you giving us an overview of your background? I mean, my, my audience is sort of spread around the planet, um, and I'm imagining that there will be some people that maybe haven't had the opportunity or the privilege to sit in one of your audiences and hear you speak. So um, give, us a, give us a sort of a two-minute backstory on who is Sam Veer. Well, actually, I grew up in my father's barbershop, actually really did not like it. I disliked it quite a bit, and you never know where you're going to end, but I ended up being a hairdresser, which I'm so happy for. It's been over 43 years that I've been a hairdresser, 20, years, 20 of those years as a salon owner, and now uh, the rest, pretty much all of those years, the rest as a teacher, and I enjoy teaching. That's my passion and where I really feel that I belong is going out there, finding the message, and then delivering the message. So it's been a journey in terms of being a salon owner, being a teacher, uh, now working with a manufacturer that I love, Redken, for quite some time, and uh, really having an opportunity to see some places I thought I'd never see and meet some people that have just really changed my world, Anthony. Yeah. So did, did you actually start as a, as a barber? No, actually, I did not like it. You know, my dad worked all day long and he had f hair at his feet up to his ankles. I was busy shining shoes. I didn't have time to sweep the hair sometimes. So I always thought, you know, I'm not going to do that. So I, I know barber side, I never ventured that side. I've always stayed more on the female side. I've just enjoyed that in terms of, you know, the, the, I, I've always felt that you could be a lot more creative. But then just recently, though, the barber industry really changed that, didn't they? It I'll, just I'll really say. Awoken, awoken the industry all the way around, which I'll I'm say. so grateful for. So uh, when you say shining shoes, you don't mean that as a metaphor. You literally mean that you were in your dad's barbershop as a, as a schoolboy trying to earn a few, you know, a few bucks on the, on the school holidays. You were shining shoes. That's correct. Right. While everyone else on a Saturday was outside playing. I was on my way with my dad to the barbershop around 7 a.m. in the morning. 
Okay. That I really, you know, I, I learned a lot, but I, as I said, I disliked it. Really, yeah. That was not my favorite thing to do at that time, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, my, my, uh, my, my background uh, is I worked at Sassoon for a long time in the 80s. I worked there for 10 years. And I heard a little story about you that there was a turning point in your career where you basically your dad, I think it was, took you to a Sassoon show. Yes. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting because I, I went to school and at school, I was, you know, there and interesting. My teacher came to me one day. I was probably about three, four months in school. And she said, Sam, you, you need to go check your rollers underneath the dryer. They're falling out and you might consider doing something else. And uh, then my dad called me up that weekend and said, what are you doing? I said, nothing. He said, let's go to a hair show. I said, what's that? He goes, that's where you go and you learn trends. This was 1976. Had the opportunity to go to a Vidal Sassoon show. And Anthony was actually Vidal. Uh, Christopher Broker, Roger Thompson, and uh, Alan Benfield Bush. Wow. Okay. And There's a watching, lot. You know, it was a great lineup. And watching those four gentlemen take these models with long hair and just melt that hair down, just I was just amazed. And my dad was smart. We got there early. He got us in the second row, and we sat there, and I was on the edge of my seat. And that's when I pointed and said, Dad, I want to do that. He said, that's all ego and no money. Now, when my dad said something like that, I had to prove him wrong. Yeah, yeah. Now, after that, I went back to school with more purpose, with more intent. And my teacher kind of looked at me after a month after that show, said, what got into you? I go, oh, you know what? I'm going to be a teacher someday. I went to a show. You know, from there, that's where it started. That's where it really started knowing I want to do that someday. Yeah, but do, I, it through, do it in a way where it really did help people. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, they did. That, that's amazing. I mean, I, you know, a similar story for me as a, as a kid, you know, young hairdresser, seeing another side of the industry, which until I was in it, I didn't know existed. And right. uh, it's, that, it's that moment where, you know, for a lot of people, a, a, a switch gets flicked, so to speak. And, you know, like you say, you then go about pursuing your, your career with a completely different, uh, you know, vigor to it. Yes. Um, so so what, what was the sort of the transition? So you went to beauty school. You then, you then worked as a stylist in a salon or did you open your own salon straight away? Like how did you... How did you progress through the industry? After school, I went and worked in a salon. Um, I interviewed with a man by the name of Yosh Toya. Uh, did not work with Yosh, but had a great conversation with Yosh. He was very impressed where I was coming out of school in terms of that time timeline. And I decided, you know, I'll go work in a salon. I worked in a salon for probably about three years, and then I opened up my own salon. And that's when things really, the learning really started. I was a salon owner for 20 years. I like to say the two happiest days of my life, Anthony, is one, one when I opened it and two when I, when I got rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whereabouts was this? What this was, was in San Mateo, California, right, south okay. of San Francisco. And yeah. it was in San Mateo. Yeah. And it was a great, great, great time because I really learned a lot in terms of teaching because I had an associate program where I put everybody through and I actually was the teacher. So it gave me really an opportunity to really practice and hone in on my teaching skills and really building a strong team, a strong uh, skill set team. And we grew from four people to probably 32 within five years. Wow. And uh, I had it for 20 years. And then along comes uh, Redken and a great opportunity and a door open there. So I decided to close the, the chapter on that book. And interesting because my staff one day 
they were there before I was, Anthony, and they said they were before I was there at work, and they're never there that early. And they were all in the office waiting for me. And I said, okay, tell me what's up. Do I, are, do I have a walkout? Are you all leaving? They said, no, Sam, you taught us to talk to you when we want to be up front. We miss you. You're not here. You're gone a lot. And the salon just isn't the same. And the reason we're here is because of you. So it really opened me up and made me think about where do I really want to go now? Do I want to continue to be a salon owner or do I really want to focus on being a platform artist per se or teacher? Mm. Uh, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to end, write the chapter on that book and start a new book. And that's going out and uh, doing what I do now, which is sharing information. And, uh, you know, I choose to stand in front of people, Anthony, motivated by the passion to teach. Yeah. I'm not a rock star. I'm not a genius. I'm not an inventor. I'm not a visionary. Over the 40 years that I've been in the industry, so many people have inspired me and shared so many things with me. And all I choose to do is stand before people and just, you know, be a hairdresser who chooses to be a teacher. Yeah. And, and I loved going to Europe. I mean, UK was, I loved going to uh, Salon International. That was more or less my sabbatical. Every, mm -hmm. some, every year in October, I'd mark myself off and go to that show. But I really feel as a hairdresser, or even as a teacher, we must never cease to learn. There's always something to learn. Yeah, definitely. That, that was a, a, an interesting little segue you had there with, you know, the point where you were at with your salon, because I mean, I, the same thing happened to me and I see it happen to a lot of people. I mean, for some people, they, they do want to evolve and go in a different direction after working behind the chair for years. And education is often one of them. And, you know, I was in a similar situation where I was doing a lot of education, but trying to run salons. And I see a lot of uh, hairdressers trying to do the two. And yes. you, can, you can do the two, yes, but there's a, there's a point where it tips one way or the other. And I think there's that point where you've got to make a decision. Are you going to run salons or are you going to be a, a you know, a traveling uh, roadshow? Because um, if you don't get the balance right, one of them's going to suffer. And I see a lot of, um, you know, hairdressers out there that are, that are also educators and they end up having to subsidize their salon business with what they're making in the education side of things, because when they're away, it's not working properly. So, you know, it's a, it's an interesting transition point, you know, where, where you said that, you know, you decided to close that chapter on that book. I mean, I was, I, I had a similar thing. I didn't make that decision to, to sell it, but someone came out of the blue and offered to buy it. And so it just sort of happened for me. I figured it was a, you know, a message from a higher power. That's what I was meant to do. Focus on the education thing. So uh, do, do yeah, you think that's important to, to make that choice and go one way or the other? Well, I think you made a good point saying that it can be done. I think you can certainly have both. I have some good friends that have both that are successful, uh, call them platform artists, teachers, influencers, and they're salon owners. Yeah. And they're very, very successful. If they do can find that, let's say, uh, not necessarily balance, but if you can find that flow, yeah. if you can find that flow and really have it where it's, it's there, I think you can be successful. My personal uh, culture and the way that I personally operate is I like to put, put everything in one thing and be really get strong at that and accomplish that. It's mm -hmm. kind of like saying, I like to be a postage stamp, Anthony, stick to something till I get there, you know, or stick to something till you master it. Once you get there, stick to something else, you know? Yeah. So I decided I want to put my energy into that. And I've lost my, my passion as a salon owner. You know, I really felt that I could really grow. I could learn a lot more discover more things Mm -hmm. If I had the opportunity to be uh, and and help more people, 
Where I was in the salon, I had an opportunity to help a handful of people. Mm. Now I have an opportunity to be in front of, you know, five to thousands of people. And um, yeah, I think you can do both. I personally made the choice. I'm going to focus on this. And I'm glad I did. Yet I have to tell our listeners that, you know, it's not meant for everybody. Yeah, exactly. It's not meant for everybody. You know, people ask me how often are, are you on the road? And I said, I can't tell you that, but I can tell you how often I'm at home. Mm. I average about six, eight days a month. And the rest of the time I'm gone. Yeah. So it's, it's a, a matter of, you know, a, a choice. With the, with the, you know, as as with choices come circumstances, mm. and I've missed a lot of family functions. I've missed a lot of family, you know, birthdays, and but at the same time, I'm very supported in the fact that they understand that, you know, those things tend to overlap, and mm. I made a choice, and um, it's uh, been good to me. You know, yeah. I, I really love it. You mm. know, do you, Sam, do you ever miss the salon? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I must admit, you know, I, I had three salons and, you know, uh, sold them. And at the time I was ready to do it and, and I don't have regrets about it, but I often, it, it's usually when I see someone else's business, it's a really good business. And occasionally you'll walk into someone's salon and you'll go, wow, you know, it's building that, building a brand. It's building something bigger than you are. It's building something that, that works and produces money and, you know, has, has a, I don't know, a living, breathing thing aside from you. And I must admit that there's a bit of that that occasionally when I walk into a great salon that I go, wow, you know, did I, did I do the right thing? And, and I believe I did. It was a period of my life where I had salons. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, it's still good to see a business that is running beautifully, that is, you know, got a great culture, that's got yes. a great team of people, that's productive and making money. Because ultimately, that's important. And there's oh yes, and you know, Anthony. Recently, especially here in the U.S., we have seen change. You know, where it's going through a lot of changes in in terms of the salon world, the retail world, and what's happening out there. And in terms of the social world, the education yeah. world. You know, I mean, I believe there that there's two great resources resources out there in today's world as a hairdresser for learning. One is online, and one is live. What I don't want people to forget, I think they're both great. I say embrace them both. Yet what I don't want people to forget is the culture of our industry. And that goes back to being at shows and being live there where you, your, 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 your heart can be touched, where you can uh, uh, network with people, where you can ask, ask questions and get a live uh, interaction. You know, the computer is a great resource. Yet I believe the computer can't touch your heart. You know, so I just want the listeners to know that education as a hairdresser, we must never cease to learn. I think there's so many resources out there, but let's support live events. Get yourself to Salon International. Get yourself to the uh, premier shows in the U.S. Get yourself to Hair Expo. You know, uh, there's just so many great educators out there. And uh, I think that there's plenty for everybody. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm going to I'm going to come back to some of those things you touched on. Uh, shortly, but I, I, I you know, in, in the introduction, and I, and I, I didn't say it lightly, and I, you know, had the pleasure to sit in an audience and to, you know, to see you on stage and hear you talk and the way you come across, and humility and and lack of ego is something that you're known for, and you put a lot of emphasis on being a teacher and not a, a celebrity hairdresser, um, and I love that. Uh, I, I want you to talk a little bit about. What underpins that? Like, 
I mean, I think I know. I think going right back to has this kid shining shoes in a barbershop, you know, like what is like tell me about that ethos of of that, you know, that that humility that you have as a presenter. Because I think it's I think it's incredible and I think it's a wonderful thing to be in the presence of when you're sat in an audience. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I think it goes back to that statement my father made when I said I first said I wanted I pointed, but I never forget. I was sitting on the edge of my seat leaning forward and I went, I want to do that. And he grabbed me by the shoulder and he pulled me back. He said, sit back. You want to do what? I said, I want to be up there someday. I want to do that. And he said, eyes here, son, that's all ego and no money. Yeah. So when he said that, what stuck was he made a comment to me and he said, look, if you do that, if you can help people get what they want, you will get what you want. Yeah. So he goes, you do it without with with that in mind and you do it where you want to help others and, you know, let people basically he was saying, let people push you to the shop to the top. Mm. Don't try to be somebody you're not, yeah. you know, uh, so that really helped out. I think that's where that comes from. And then the fact that, you know, Anthony, I cannot tell people the, the formula for success, but I will say this. The formula for failure is trying to please everybody, mm-hmm. you know. You, you just can't please everybody. But here's what I know. I know that when I choose to stand in front of people, I believe in what I'm saying. I, I believe that what I'm saying is true. I believe that what I'm saying is going to be helpful. I believe, I believe that what I'm saying is knowledgeable. I believe that I, what I'm saying shows uh, genuine kindness and care. Mm. And if, if I can keep making things come out that way where it actually helps them in the salon, it helps them, where it's salon usable, that's important to me today. Mm-hmm. Where I used to be, I remember in my beginning of my show career, Anthony, I focused on the avant-garde. Yeah. I mean, who didn't? You were surrounded by Robert, good, great Robert Lobetta, you know, and Anthony and Trevor and, I mean, numerous people out, Jingles. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, when you saw that, you wanted to be a part of that. Now, my, where I'm at in my life and where I've been in my life the past 25 years, it's been where I've been really comfortable within myself and I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I'm choosing to do this the way I choose to do it. I'm going to say it this way and, and I'm going to be in, in what I like to say inclusive. Yeah. You know, I want to include everybody. Like when my, my advisors and my uh, investors said, you know, what do you want to name the company? And I said, all of us. And they said, all of us, how do you spell that? I said, A-L-L-V-U-S. And they said, why? And I said, because it's going to be about all of us. It's going to mm-hmm. be about all everybody. That's what it's going to be about. And then they wa- I wanted to put that name on the tools. And they said, no, you're going to put Sam Villa. I go, no, I don't want my name on the tools. I want all of us. And they go, Sam, wait a minute. We're, we're the business side. We know what we're doing. Nobody knows all of us. They know Sam Villa. We're putting mm-hmm. your name on the tools. And they were right. But that's how, you know, where I go. I guess it goes back to that statement my father said in terms of that. And and I want to always make sure that people know that as a teacher, I think, you know, you got to come from a place where it's like you make a connection. I'm mm-hmm. a firm believer, Anthony. People buy people, then they buy things. Yeah, exactly. So uh, in today's uh, world, you really got to sell yourself. Yeah. How old were you when, when you're sat in that show and your dad says that to you? I was 20. Uh, what was I? 20. 20, yeah, right. Okay. 20 years old. Yeah. yeah, a formative moment. Here you are all these years later and, you know, still talking about that. That was a, a turning point in your life. Um, talk about why education, ongoing education, 
is so important for every hairdresser out there? Oh, gosh. I think, well, number one, I think it, it, people tend to t- talk about the most simple thing, which is, you know, you, there's danger in the comfort zone. You know, you, when people get comfortable with the technique or they get comfortable with a, te- uh, uh, a, let's say, a texturizing technique, it might not be meant for everybody, but they're doing it because it becomes habitual. Mm. I think, you know, when you go to educational events, you have an opportunity. And I don't like to say the word learn anymore. I like to say the word discover. You have mm-hmm. an opportunity to discover something that can enhance you uh, as a person, enhance you as, a, as your skill set behind the chair. See, Anthony, I really believe that the economy now has moved to a convenience economy, to a experience economy, no longer a possession economy. Mm-hmm. So when, as a hairdresser, I think you need to know, understand that price is what they pay, value is what they get. Mm-hmm. So you have to ask yourself, what value am I giving my customers, my clients, my guests that sit in my chair? And I think the value that they need and desire in today's world is education. So I think today as a hairdresser, you're no longer just a conversationalist. You are now a teacher. You know, be YouTube behind the chair is what I'm trying to tell salons to do. Really be, and then create an experience. Anthony, can you imagine if you have a little monkey tripod on on your station at where you work, and on there is a business card that says, for a free tutorial, place your phone here. Mm. So when it comes time for me to blow dry this new client that I just gave her this great haircut, now I'm going to show her how to blow dry it. I take her phone and now I videotape the coaching session and I let her know, here's your own tutorial. It's your own YouTube tutorial. You're the star and I'll be there with you every morning on your vanity to coach you through blow drying your hair. Now that's an experience. Yeah, no, definitely. And definitely. we need to start thinking that way as hairdressers. And I think it's, it's universal. You know, mm-hmm. I really think that we need to change, change the way we think, the way we say, and the way we do. And some people, I get a little pushback on that because people go, Hey, Sam, why do you want to change the language? I said, I don't want to change the language to be cool. I want to change your language to get their attention. That's why I want to change the language. So I think, you know, it's a, a, not a gimmick type of language or anything like that, but it's something saying, instead of saying, hey, let, Louise, let's texturize your, your hair today. How about saying, hey, Louise, let's disrupt your crown today. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she's going to say, well, what do you mean, Sam? Well, let's go in and let's do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, blah, blah, blah. She goes, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. But what got her attention was the way I phrased it. Instead yeah, of I, saying, yeah. let's texturize. I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think different words different terms sometimes they're they're appropriate in a, a certain era yes. but you know different eras they're no longer appropriate i talk about that in, a lot in the context of um you know the people that m- more not so much in terms of clients and the creative side of it but in terms of uh team building and managing of people and you know just the terminologies like i i don't like to call uh, a receptionist a receptionist i like to yeah. call them a salon coordinator uh, yes. I don't. I don't like to call. In the eighties, for example, it was very common to use the word junior. Um, these days, I think that's quite yeah derogatory almost. You're better to call them assistants. You know. Yes. Uh, I, I'll never forget the time I went into a salon and they introduced me to a, a, a woman and they said, uh, "This is Maria. She's the housekeeper." And I was like, "Right, the housekeeper." You know, and I was a bit taken aback by it. And, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of minutes later, I said to the, the person who introduced me, when Maria was no longer there, I said, what does the housekeeper do? And he said, she's the cleaner. And I was like, wow, isn't that an interesting thing? 
she is still the cleaner, but we don't call her the cleaner. We call her the housekeeper. And just think of how much more empowering that is for her as to how she feels about her job. Think about how the clients now relate to her. Think about how the team relate to her. And it's just a word, but words are really powerful. And they have a, you know, they have a context uh, or they have a meaning of their own. And sometimes that meaning, you know, we, we, we sort of don't think enough about it. And we don't think that, hey, is this, is this term, is the meaning of this as relevant today as what it was 20 years ago? Is this how people want to be spoken about? So, yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, yeah. yeah, don't get me wrong. Elevation's elevation, over directions, yeah. over direction, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. With, mm-hmm. with um, your training originally, you, you, you went through a beauty school system, which is, you know, the prevalent system in America. I know you do have some uh, apprenticeship, but not, but not so much, you know. Right. Um, a, a lot of the rest of the world does have an apprenticeship model or, or more of an apprenticeship model. What are your thoughts about those two? You know, what, what, what do you think of those two different systems? I think... Well, I think it's pretty simple. I think the when I, and I'm just going to be very honest here, and a lot of people probably not going to, but I really believe the best hairdressers. When I came in the industry in the seventy, late seventies, the best hairdressers were Europeans. They were the best. Uh, U.S. We were we could hold our own. Yet the Europeans had this sense of what they were doing, especially when Sassoon came around. It really just opened up a lot of eyes changed a lot of things. What I noticed, though, was the educational systems. And there was a difference where we had a school system where it was based on hours. And it was based upon what state you were, how many hours that you were required. And it varied from one state to another. Then I also noticed in the, U- in the UK or in Europe, you know, most of it was a- apprenticeship type programs. And I noticed how skilled they were and how long they had to go through it. But not only that, the respect level. So I have a lot of uh, uh, issues with our system in terms of how it rolls out and how it plays out. Mm-hmm. I think it, it works, yet I think it needs some help and it needs to be uh, upgraded and needs to be consistent across the board. Uh, one thing that I don't want them to do is to take away our license. Mm-hmm. I think you, need to be, uh, you have to be licensed to create, um, to be a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. There needs to be some type of training. So if you said to me, Sam, where do you weigh the two, the two systems? You know, I mean, I think we have a lot to learn from the, the uh, systems and the way hairdressers are um, uh, trained from Europe. We can learn a lot. Okay. So th- th- that sort of segues nicely into how the Internet's impacted on that. Um, uh, I was talking to someone recently and he had a plumber come and do some work in his house. And in the conversation, this guy was, he was actually from Syria. And uh, he said to him, so you, you learned plumbing in, in Syria. And the guy said, no, 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 I didn't learn plumbing in Syria. He said, well, where did you learn it? In the UK, he said, no, I learned it on the internet. And uh, he said, I learned plumbing on, on YouTube. He said, you know, so he didn't do an apprenticeship. He didn't do a trade. He didn't go to school. He said he's always been handy and his qualifications that he had in Syria weren't applicable in another industry uh, in the UK here. And, uh, you know, he got a bit of handyman work. One thing led to another. Now he's a plumber, basically. You know? and, but he's learned it all online. And I think, that's, I think that's a sign of the times we live in. And I know that you have a, an, a massive um, YouTube following. I, I, I know that you're not, you know, you, you don't Skype or 
you, you, you couldn't really care less about the numbers. But, but I gather you have over half a million um, you know, subscribers on your YouTube channel, for example. Um, talk to us about the, the difference. You touched on it before with online education and face-to-face -face education, because obviously you believe in the online thing uh, passionately, but you've also really you know, nailed your flag to the mast a minute ago where you said it is so important that we support events and that we get out there and we're in the face-to-face -face world as well. Um, just flesh that out a little bit for us. Well, what, what got me into this was I wanted to create DVDs, but I wanted to create DVDs in a different way. I yeah. did not want them to be shot in a studio. I wanted them to be shot when I was doing an insulin, in, live insulin program so it could be much more interactive. It was almost like a cooking show, watching yeah. a cooking show. And I thought, you know, at that time, it, it, I, it was revolutionary in terms of the way it was rolled out and what we did. And it became this interactive thing. Then we saw my team, we saw social and what we could do with social. And we saw, you know what? This is a means where we could really use, we don't have a lot of advertising dollars. We're a small company growing. Let's grow through social. And that was the decision that was made. But what, Was this when you still had salons? No, this salons. is when I, I didn't have a salon anymore. Right. All okay. I was focusing on was building myself education. as a brand. Yes, yeah. and education. Yeah. So then I decided, but what we're going to do is we're going to do it different. The world is moving too fast paced, and this is millennials. We're starting to put their footprint in, and I said it needs to be sound bites. And my team's like, "What do you mean?" I said, "Educational sound bites. It needs to be quick. It needs to be simple. And I don't want to do a DVD that's an hour that takes them so, uh, so long to watch. Number one, number two, time to download. I want to do educational sound bites that are three, seven minutes. So that's what we started doing, Anthony, and that's when it took off." Mm. And we started doing these little, like the fringe twisted cut. And we did that. And then we did a couple more things and we kept adding on, adding on. And it just took off. It started to grow. So I think, you know, the educational sound bites and social, you know, was, was, uh, was an area where it really put us on the map. You know, I, it put us on the map in terms of really uh, being able to help the hairdresser, especially the hairdresser in today's world. You know, in live events, I think the difference what you're doing is sound bites are great, and I think there's a need for them. Live education is an experience, and I that's why I say you know the, it's it's a two part world we live in: convenience and experience. Convenience is online, is those educational sound bites. Experience is let me pick myself up from behind the computer, and now let me go to a live event. And let me experience a live event. Yeah. I believe that you're going to those both of those resources are important in today's world. But also, I go back to the fact that let's we maintain the culture of our industry, and part of the culture of our industry are these live events and these shows. Mm -hmm. What, what um, social channels? I mean, I know you've you've got a big presence on uh, on YouTube, as we said. Um, you're obviously on Instagram as well, Facebook. What, what, what do you use different channels for? In, it, in Facebook is now, you know, when I think the youth, I think Instagram. Yeah. When I think the mature, I think Facebook. Yeah. Yet, with what's happening now, just this week we had a meeting and we now see it going back to Facebook. And the reason being is because of the likes now being taken away on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So now a lot of people are going back to Facebook where the likes have not been taken away. And now you have, stories in facebook and now i think you're going to start to see a shift 
a little bit of a shift until people start to figure out this little game that they're playing over here at Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I think Instagram is great for visuals. I think it's great, you know, what we're doing with, you know, what you can do in terms of, <coughs> excuse me, being able to tell a story through uh, stories. Facebook is something a little bit more long-winded, if you will. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's got, so I think that's the difference between the two. We use okay. both. We yeah. use, matter of fact, we use everything. Are you using Snapchat and, uh, and TikTok? Ah, interesting. TikTok. Snapchat, we play with it a little bit, but not yeah. much. TikTok, looking into TikTok, yeah, which is another platform that I think is going to be something that's going to be uprising. Yeah, it's going, mean, to, be, it's, it's it's going like, to be interesting to see how it rolls out. And yeah, how well, it plays out. huge in in the Asian <laughs> countries. I mean, uh, I think it's coming up to a billion, you know, users on it already. So um, when you think of how long it took for you know Facebook to get up to those sort of numbers, and and TikTok have, have gone there phenomenally quickly. So, yeah, okay. Um, what about, you know, technology in general? Um, you know, in your time in the industry, what, what do you think about how the way technology is impacted on the industry? It's, it's sort of changing business models. Um, you know, we've got different, well, different salon business models now, salon suites, a booth renter, all that type of thing has been given a, uh, I suppose, a whole new trajectory, you know, through uh, smartphones because basically – you know, the smartphone is, has enabled the business unit of one more than anything else before. What, what, what are your thoughts about all that? Well, I think, you know, I just gave an example in terms of how to use the phone in terms of how to create an experience yeah. with the chair, and that's through video process. I think that, you know, the, the phone is um, a tool that salon owners need to embrace. I know a lot of salon owners that they say, no, the phone goes away. It doesn't come out. Yeah. I think it needs to come out. Totally. Today's, yeah, yeah, you know, I think that uh, the, that there's things that the the uh, team members could be doing. Like, th there's no money to be made in the broke room, and the broke room is the break room, that room yeah. in the back. Uh, what I would suggest is, if they're back there, there may be somebody that they just did last week, a, a client that they did last week, where they could say, "Hey, let's go blonde," and the client saying, "Yeah, let, let me think about it." Well, if I was that stylist, I'd be in the back break room, going on Pinterest grabbing three shades of different colors of blondes and now sending it to that client while they're at work so that when they get it at work, they're like, Hey, so guys, which do you think I should go? Which blonde? And they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Oh, my hairdresser just sent me these three. Wait a minute. Your hairdresser just sent you three. Yeah. We are. My hairdresser sent me three shades of different blondes, which where do you get your hair done? Yeah. See, that's, I think the phone and, and technology nowadays, Anthony, it's amazing how it's created this disruption Yet what people need to understand is just an interruption. What we need to do is pause and learn how to work with it. And I think that, that the companies and the salons that are doing that are the ones that are going to get through this cycle and really start to grow with it. The yeah. ones that are going to stay back and sit back on their success in terms of how they're operating their salons, I think that they're going to fall behind and we don't want them to fall behind. So I think there's so many business models out there in terms of, uh, of uh, the 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 uh, retail area. I really believe that that needs to be tilted upside down and it needs to be a shopping experience, not a waiting area, not a reception area. 
it needs to be a shopping experience. So once again, when you think about that, so I'm used to be out there, Redkin, Redkin, Redkin. Now, Anthony, I'm out there like, yeah, I suggest you carry four to five different lines. Mm. And some owners are like, yeah, I never thought about that. And uh, because that way you're creating more of a shopping experience. And then I think uh, technology-wise, salons need to uh, really have a website. And then take a look and start thinking about why not retail on that website. I think you got to look and see how much of that game you can play, what you can do and what you can't do based upon where you're at. Mm. But I think that uh, the high, high, what I don't want us to do, Anthony, is we live in such a high-tech society, but I don't want us to lose high-touch effectiveness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that we can never lose. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I see that as it relates in customer service. Yeah. When you, uh, you know, travel, I know you travel a lot, um, not just in the US, but, um, you know, I know, I know you're in Australia. I think I heard you say a couple of years ago at Hair Expo, uh, you know, you're at Salon International, et cetera. Um, what, what's your sort of observations that you have about the industry globally? Where do you see, you know, business models um, that you look at and go, wow, that's refreshing. That's the future. You know, they're doing it well. I mean, in the US, you have this really strong movement of salon suites. Um, it is very American centric. It does exist in other countries, but nowhere near as much as what it does, particularly in, you know, California and, and uh, uh, Texas, etc. Um, but there's a lot of momentum behind that. And it's not about to be something that goes away. Um, you know, you talk about the retail models, the, the different salon operating models. Do, do you see anything that you look at that really inspires you? Uh, and or do you see any sort of warning lights here, you know, as an industry that you go, whoa, that's not a direction we should be going in, guys? Well, I don't know. if Did you happen to see that Visa commercial with that guy going around on a bicycle and using Square? And he's, no, no. He, he's going around on a bicycle and he's a hairdresser. And he's going around making house calls and he just uses square and the yeah. advertisement was about square. And right. it's pretty interesting because it created a little bit of an uproar in regards to, you know, wait a minute, this is not how our industry operates yet. It is, is it a possibility? Yes, it, it's definitely, it's a possibility. And does it, does it exist? Yeah. I believe totally. especially in LA it yeah. exists. Yeah, totally. Yet I think, you know, when I, when I go through my travels, and mostly a lot of times when I'm out and about, I'm taking a look at trends and fashion and things like that. I do have an opportunity to come across salons. And I will say this, the majority of the salons that I come across, I ask them because I want to know, are you have, what, how's your retail business? And retail always seems to be the one that's an uphill struggle for everybody. Right now, as you know, here in America, it's a huge struggle, you know, based upon, uh, where everybody, how everybody's feeling about Amazon and everybody feels about Ulta. As far as I'm concerned, they're fine. You know, mm -hmm. people just needs to understand they're big boys that have joined the game. And now you just got to learn from them and learn how to play. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that eventually what's going to happen, Anthony, is you're going to see that happen across the board. You're right. I think you're going to see salon suites start to sweep across. Uh, I, I'm, I don't know if this is true or not, but from what I've heard, Amazon is planning on opening up a salon in London. You know, it'd be interesting to see if that happens. But Amazon yeah. plans on getting into the beauty world. It doesn't surprise me. You mm. know? Well, um, I know they've gone into partnership with, uh, oh, what's his name, in Los Angeles. Um, 
Oh, Ted Gibson. Oh, yes, yes, yes. They're, Ted's, they're involved. He, he's got a great salon in yeah. terms of the way he's doing it. And that's, if you th- take a look, matter of fact, if you take a look at a salon that has some difference to it in terms mm. of approach, that's one I would take a look at yeah, in definitely. terms of how it's so high tech. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that retail model, whether it's Amazon or the other big one that's happening in the U.S., Salon Interactive, um, you know, being that third-party distributor, so it's not the manufacturer and it's not the salon, but the salon um, refers people or the salon has a store of their own on Amazon, so they don't mm-hmm. have to carry the stock. Um, right. They don't have to invest in all the product. They don't have to have it taken up shelf space. Um, but when they get a client to buy it from their Amazon store or their store on Salon Interactive, which I think works the same way, uh, mm-hmm. they get a commission for it. So, right. you know, it, it's interesting how, you know, the world is changing and how technology is impacting on it. And like you say, a lot of people get upset about these things. Um, and maybe it's sort of a case of, I mean, I'm, I'm older than you, but, uh, you know, the professional industry didn't exist much before the 60s. It basically started in the 60s. Um, Mm -hmm. The 60s isn't really that long ago, you know. So um, just because it is the way or or was the way that it was five years ago doesn't mean it's going to still be that way in five or ten years' time. It's going to constantly, you know, keep uh, evolving. And um, like everything, there'll be be winners and there'll be losers, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like, you know, Tower Records were, 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 were the losers because they, you know, yeah. didn't adapt to change. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Spotify is a winner. You know, Blockbuster is a loser. Uh, Netflix is a winner. It's, it's about, you know, being, it, it, it's about constantly being open and receptive to changing and rethinking the game and not always, um, trying to hang on to what you've got and saying it's not right. fair. You know, yes. it's not fair. Someone should do something, you know. Well said, well said. Yeah. So anyway, okay, um, let me talk a little bit about the what, what I would loosely term the, um, the personal skills of success. Um, what, what drives you as a person? You're not 25, um, but you're still very <laughs> driven. You know, yes. um, you've got to be at least 30. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's like I tell people, I, I've been in this industry for over 43 years. I want to just remind you, I started when I was one. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I get asked that a lot. And I obviously, you know, the love for the industry, that's, that's a given. And I'm just very blessed to be in a profession that I really embrace. But more importantly, be what really t- makes me kind of tick tock and makes me go is the fact when you have somebody come up to you and say, Hey, Sam, I just wanted to let you know, you've really uh, lit a, a spark inside of me. I'm rejuvenated again. Or, Hey, Sam, I was going to drop out of the industry. I came to your class and you turned my world around and I'm going to, I'm not going to quit. You know, those kinds of things, that's mm-hmm. basically my drive, where my drive comes from. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, going back to the fact that I'm very lucky. I mean, I, I, I really, I, I tend to focus now, my drive tends to focus more on the teaching side, more so on the creative side. And, I, and I'm really enjoying that because there's so many discoveries you can have in the teaching side because teaching, it's, 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 there's certainly a, a way of doing it and it's changing. It's really changing. 
So I think that's where a lot of my drive's at. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually listened to a podcast with your partner in crime, Andrew. Uh, oh, brothers. Yes. Um, and uh, it was a great podcast. And I really liked his insight into, you know, people learning uh, himself mm-hmm. and where he was at on his journey. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. So how do you, how do you reinvent yourself? How do you stay relevant? You know, I always used to, when I was talking to audiences, I would I would use the, the, the analogy of Madonna. I mean, you know, Madonna's gone well and truly quiet these days, but there's, you know, there's often icons in the music industry. David Bowie used to be one who every, he disappeared and then he'd come out a completely new person, new sound, new band, new, like totally new expression of who he was. Uh, Madonna did the same, um, you know, Lady Gaga to whatever degree did the same. How do you reinvent, you know, how do you, inspire yourself to evolve into you know the next thing i mean it's not like putting a new album out but the sambia today is very different to the sambia maybe 10 or 15 years ago so what's the the message behind that well i think you just said it is the fact that i choose to be the messenger you know i choose to go out there find it and uh break it down make it simple and then put it back out there so you know it's about every about because people ask, how do you, what do you, how do you do this, Sam? Where, how do you, every year you're doing something a little bit different. Every class I come to, it's a natural progression of what you were doing. Or it's, it, now you're doing it a different way. And I think what I try to do is this, is come out and think about what's my message. And it begins there. It, so I build it with what's my message for the year going to be. And okay, now what's it, what are all the little ingredients and what are those things that are going to be to get the, get the message across? And when I do that, Anthony, what happens? I'm like, oh, wow, I'm onto something. I'm onto something. Let me give you an example. The message of when we created it, hashtag artist supporting artists, mm-hmm. that, went, that went huge. But it was a point when we sat down and said, let's reinvent the brand. Let's, let's get something that's going to give the brand a little bit of a pu- push. You know, So let's build it around a message. And every year, it's around a message. Like right now, my message has been live versus online. Making people understand they're both a great resource, but let's get really understand the culture of our industry and not lose the culture and foundation of our industry, and that's live events. Yeah. So I think that that by keeping that inside of me, like, okay, what's my message going to be for 2020? What's my message going to be for 2021? If I keep that there, then that helps me to reinvent myself. Yeah. What what uh, what about when things don't work out? I mean, you know, things, I mean, we, we all have things that work well for us. We have things that, you know, fall on their ass, basically. Um, How do you overcome those adversity? How do you overcome when things don't work the way you thought they would, whether it's in your personal life, professional life, you know, business, like what, what, what's your, what's your thinking around that? Well, as long as I can pick myself up and I can learn something from it, I'm going to be okay. I think that's why. It, you know, a mistake is a mistake if you don't learn from it. Yeah. But if you make a mistake and you learn from it, it's no longer a mistake. That's why in the in the Hollywood, in the movie industry, they call it a mistake. So let's take it again, you know? Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, let's, let's film it again. Let's t- just take it again. So the idea then is that I believe that, you know, if I can, if I fall down eight times, I, 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 I stand up 10, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, so I've had a lot of things not go right. You know, building this company, this tool company, has been 
it's been a roller coaster. You know, we're doing really good, yet it's definitely had its ups and downs. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of learning there. But I think if I can learn from it, it's no longer a mistake. And, and then there's times, Anthony, when I don't learn. I don't get it. I don't learn from it, you know? So I just, you got to perceive and just keep moving on. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I always think that when you don't learn from it, it's going to happen again. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? right? it's, a, it's, a, it's a message from above. You know? yeah. oh, he hasn't learned. We're sending it again. You know? yep. okay. I guess I've learned to learn my life and understand that mistakes are okay. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They're all part of the journey, aren't they? So Sam, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned in life, not necessarily hairdressing, in life in general. What's your biggest lesson? I've learned that leadership is based upon cooperation, not intimidation. And that's been my, my biggest learning along this journey as a hairdresser, as a salon owner, as a teacher, as a founder of a company. You know, leadership qualities are so, so important for success. But I think that, uh, you know, it's all about leadership is based on cooperation, not intimidation. I think in this industry, there's just too much people trying to get successful, Anthony, through intimidation. Yeah. And that doesn't work for me. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. I like that. Okay. Um, where should we go next with this? Um, what advice would you give to people at different stages in their career? I, I'm going to pull some specific stages of a, of a, of a hairdresser's career out. Um, I want you to think about them. Um, someone at beauty school or someone in an apprenticeship, so they're 17, 18, 19, whether they're in the UK, the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you know, wherever, what advice would you give to that young kid who's just started? They're not a kid, a young adult that's just starting out in this industry. Focus on how you can versus why you can't. Focus on how you can versus why you can, how you can't. Okay, mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Okay. Because if I can do it, you can do it. It's just practice, practice, practice. Yeah, you, you embody that, don't you? You, you yes. very much embody, if I can do this, guys, you can do it as well. Right. It's practice, People, it's hard work, there's no shortcuts, but if you're prepared right. to put in the hours, you can make this happen. Oh, yeah. There's people, Anthony, right now, that they're going to be famous probably by January of 21. And we don't know who they are. Yeah. But they're going to be famous. And the people I'm talking about are the Summer, summer Olympics, whoever wins a gold medal. Yes. Yeah. But the reason they're going to win that gold medal is because they practice, 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 worked out, worked out, worked out. So that's what, what success is built on. Mm. You know, it's, it's a matter of repeat, repeat, repeat again, 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 especially as a hairdresser. Mm. Yeah, definitely. As a hairdresser. Definitely. What, what, what about the next level up? You know, they're, they're 22, 23, 24, 25. They're a stylist. They're working in a salon either, you know, as part of a team or maybe they are a business unit of one. Maybe they are a salon suite hairdresser. What, what, what advice would you give them at that point in their career? Patience. You know, be patient. Meaning that I think at that point in your life, you're thinking, okay, I've been doing this for a few years now. Mm. Where's the success? Where's the money? I think, you know, just be patient. I think, uh, I think, I don't know about you, Anthony, but when I grew up in this industry, I mean, I worked 10, 12, 15 hours a day. Yeah. I mean, to get some of these people to do that now, it's unheard of. It just yeah, doesn't totally. exist. It totally. doesn't exist. Yeah. So they have to understand because of that, they need to be even more patient to build a successful clientele. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's hard. at that stage in the game, I'd say patience. Yeah. It's hard for them too, isn't it? I mean, I, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I've got kids in that generation and, um, you know, the millennials and the, the Gen Z generation. And, mm-hmm. you know, I often say that it's not their fault that they were no. born into this time of instant gratification. It's like, you know, when we're talking about apprenticeships before, you know, when I started hairdressing, you did a four-year apprenticeship. That's what you did. And you just got your head down. You just got on with it. And that's just the way it was. But you didn't have YouTube then. You didn't right. have the opportunity to learn and to fast track that, that you have now. Mm-hmm. With, with all these things. So I agree with you, patience. But um, uh, I, I also look at it from the other side and go, you know, from, from my perspective, I often tell hairdressers that are, that are my age, my generation, that there is absolutely no point in saying to their staff, when I was a boy, this is how we did it. Because no one right. cares. Do you know what I mean? And nor should they. You know, they're going to turn around to you and they're going to laugh. Exactly. You know, it's like, <laughs> tell someone who cares, granddad, because we yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, that obviously leads into the next um, transition point, which is, you know, I come across and you come across, I'm sure, so many hairdressers that think that the next step is to automatically open a business. And it right. is for some of them that then they should do it. It's part of their journey. But for I meet a lot of people in business that they should never have gone into business, you know, but they went into it for all the wrong reasons. So if, if you're now that person, probably in their 20s, maybe early 30s, thinking, I'm going to open my own salon, what would you, what would you say to them? What, what bit of advice would you give them? Well, I would go back to that little thing that I've been saying. And what we've been talking is, if I can help people get what they want, I'll get what I want. So that's what I would say to them, you know, help, help people you know, help people grow, help people be successful. You know, I always told people, my team in my salon, I said, I want you to be more successful than I am. Mm-hmm. I want you to make more money than I do behind the chair. And they go, really? I go, yeah, because if you are, I'm going to be fine. You're, you know, I'm going to be, you're, you're, I'm making money. You're making money. We're both happy. It's a win-win. Yeah. So, I, you know, you, that, I think that's the problem and the issue when people get seasoned in this industry is they get a little, we tend to get a little, and I'm speaking for myself, you know, after you've been in it for 30, 20, 30, 40 years, you get a little seasoned and you get a little cocky. Like, I know, I know, I know, you know, but I think what's important is that you have to understand that if you can develop an attitude that there's always something to learn because there always is, even though you might say, well, I know how to cut a one length Bob. Okay. Well, let me show you another way to cut a one length Bob. <clears throat> you know, I think, that if you keep with that attitude, then you're going to have some longevity in this industry. I think a lot of people get to the point where they've been in it for 30 years. They develop an attitude. I know, I know, I know. And then mm. they end up losing their salon, mm. you know? So. Well, exactly. And that is uh, the perfect transition into what advice would you give that person who's now been in it for 30 years? They've had the salon for 20, 30 years. They're tired. They've had one walkout. They've had another walkout. They're, and they're asking themselves that question, have I got it in me to go right. again? Have I got it in me to go one more, <laughs> one more spin on the merry-go-round and build the team up again? What would you say to them? Sell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is so. a point. There is a point where that is what you'd say. Yeah, that's right. There's there a is. point where that is definitely the right thing to do because you have to ask that question, have I got it in me to do this again? And if the answer well, is yes, fantastic, roll up your sleeves and get back in there. Like you said, eight times down, ten times up. Right. But, but there's well, another time where 
it's not failure. Do you know what I mean? To say to right. someone, listen, you, you've reached a point where you've done what you wanted to do and you maybe haven't got the energy or the desire to get in and do that again. Maybe it is time to sell it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm trying not to answer the question for you, but like, give me right. your thoughts. About well, that. here's, here's a couple of things that I happen. I think these, a lot of salons and this happened to me. I learned the first time around where I got to a, a rate where I was full. I couldn't get any more people in. Yeah. You know, I had a training, I had an apprenticeship program and I was training people and I thought, you know what I got, if I train somebody, I got no place to put them. So I thought, well, let me just kind of back off a little bit. So I backed up. Then I had a walkout. See that my, my problem that I, my, what I learned from there was the revolving door is always going to be there. And yeah. the apprenticeship program should always exist. Mm -hmm. No matter if you're full now, you can double shift, you know, yeah. you can do those types of things. So I think the revolving door is important. The next thing is, is that I ask salon owners, what's your exit plan? You know, do you have an exit plan or do you want to go through that cycle again and again and again? You know, maybe you, maybe you do, maybe you have that energy and passion, but I would suggest, you know, have an exit plan. I didn't have an exit plan. I was lucky that something fell in my lap, mm. but otherwise, you know, I, I tell salon owners and ask them, what's your exit plan? Mm. And a lot of them, I'm surprised, Anthony, or what do you mean? I go, well, yeah. you can't stand behind a chair forever, mm. you know, and you can't be a salon owner. You go, what happens when you lose 15, 20 of these people? What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we're talking at the moment, Sam, and it's early December. Uh, what is it? December 6th. Uh, this is going to go live on New Year's Eve is when this will get oh, released. Wow. Um, All right. Uh, on my podcast. Um, and I, I only say that because people listen to this now because let's assume that a lot of them are going to listen to it on New Year's Eve. Some will be listening to it very shortly afterwards, the first week or so of January. And it's often that time uh, every year where we all reflect. You know, we sort of reflect about uh, uh, life and the business and, and what we want 2020 to, uh, uh, you know, to have in store for us. What are our goals and ambitions, et cetera? Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts about that? Talk about that for us for a minute. Well, I think 2020 is going to be a very, very interesting year all the way across the board for salon owners, for uh, the salon industry itself. I mean, Anthony, can you just believe what's up on the news in regards to color and cancer? Did you see that? Yes, I did see something. Yeah. Yes, yeah. right. So yeah. now imagine what that's going to do to the color industry. Mm. You know, it's definitely going to set – people are definitely going to hold up a red flag. Yeah. So 2020 is going to be an interesting year. My objective and my goal in 2020 is to continue to wake people up and understanding getting yourself to live events, number one. Number two is to continue to, continue, uh, to, continue to go out there and teach, teach, teach. Keep these people motivated behind the chair mm -hmm. and let them know that they're in a good place. And, you know, that's a, a really a, a big objective that myself and the team have. Obviously, we have some new things coming out and things like that. But I think 2020 for the industry is going to be very interesting in terms of, you know, where, where are we going to go with chemicals? Where are we going to go with uh, 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 sweets? Mm. Where are we going to go with retail? Mm. It's going to be a lot of questions that are going to come out and we're going to find some of those answers. And then I think some of them, it's going to take some time. Yeah. Now, um, I know we're going to have a lot of people left hanging 
thinking, what's that he meant about color and cancer? Um, I've, I've heard that over the years, I've heard that mentioned, you know, a, a link. Uh, and I did see something in the, in the last 24 hours. I can't even think where it was now. Um, can, you, can you just enlighten us a little bit as to what it was that you were referring to? Yes, uh, this was on the, uh, uh, to, I like to watch the Today Show, catch yeah. a little bit of the news, and that's where I, I found it. It was, a big, it was a big segment that they had on it. And basically, they're talking about how, uh, depending upon the coarseness of the hair and how it absorbs color, uh, it's, it's based upon the, the texture of the hair. Mm-hmm. So you're finding it that it's a, like 48%, 19 to 47%, 17% to 48%. Mm-hmm. is basically in terms of, you know, cancer. But then again, you know, they came back and they said, all right, well, how much color do you need to do? And are there other things going on? And they're talking particularly about breast cancer. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's just, you know, like I said, I'm not a news guy, you know, but I'm just basically sharing with, you're asking me about 2020. I'm thinking that's going to create a little bit of a shakeup in terms sure. of, okay, the color color market, the color side, you know, mm. what, what's going to happen. And they talked p- specifically about uh, permanent color. Right. Uh, you know, they said, go with uh, semi-permanent. You're better off with semi-permanent. Yeah. And you know how these are, you know, a lot of times these things, let's make it newsworthy. How yeah, often, exactly. How big can we blow it? You know, totally. how big can we blow it up? Totally. So, I, I, I remember... Uh, years, probably 10, 20 years ago, there was a, a, a lot of yes. news about this as well. And I remember talking to Annie Humphreys about it. And, and right. what, what Annie Humphreys doesn't know about color isn't worth knowing. And, yep. and, and she dug into it and she said to me, Anthony, there's a, there's a possibility uh, right. of, of a tenuous link, uh, but the, the degree to which you'd need to be exposed to color was just ridiculous. Do you, do you know right. what I mean? Like yes. you, you, you would have to be, you know, rubbing uh, a permanent tint all over your arms and hands, you know, all day, every day for 10 years for there to be a, you know, a That's 1% correct. chance. Or it, was, it was some ridiculous mm-hmm. um, c- scenario. But, uh, yeah, I mean, no smoke without fire. These things do have a tendency of, uh, of, of coming back at us. As you say, sometimes it's sensationalized on, on uh, the news. And I dare say if there is any... Um, you know, backstory to it, the, the trade press will be all over it. So by the time right. people are hearing this, I'm sure they're probably already aware of what it is that we're talking about. Yes. Okay. Yep. So um, one last thing, you did touch on your tools and I know that that is a big part of your business now. And uh, we didn't really uh, have time to dig into that, but just, just give us a little bit of a background on, on what is that side of your company? Because you know, you're very much a guy that stands on stage and has this reputation as this amazing educator um, with a very strong online presence, but you also have this tool company. Just like flesh that out a little bit, because particularly in in Europe and, you know, Australasia, <laughs> et cetera, uh, people probably aren't aware of that. Right. Yep. Uh, see, we talk about an exit plan. That's my exit plan. Yep. What I wanted to do was create something that I could fall back on because I'm not going to be a platform artist forever or, or you know, out there. People eventually are going to say, oh, I've seen him before. So I want to have something to fall back on. And that's what I wanted to fall back on. So I was having issues with my wrist, my thumb. So it's all based upon ergonomics. So when I went to uh, hand specialists and these kinds of things, they were saying you need to create a shear. Somebody needs to create a shear where it's ergonomically just fits in the, into the hand where the thumb doesn't move. And that's basically where, what the shears are based on. They're based on ergonomics. 
So the brand itself, the tools itself were basically, I was having issues and I wanted to create something that would help me out, but also help people that might be having the same issue. And it was about how heavy blow dryers are. You know, our our blow dryer was what, less than one pound or about a pound. Uh, So we, you know, we tried to really focus on ergonomics. That's basically what the tools are about. I really believe that, you know, education drives sales. And one of the things, like I said, you know, I want to help people. So the tools are just another way, another area of helping people. And with ergonomics issues with hands, wrists, thumbs, mm-hmm. shoulders, those types of things. Okay. And, and the tools are scissors, blow dryers, irons, all the, all the hard tools. There's no wet products, so to speak. Everything is hard. There is no wet. And I, you know, I, I have a great relationship with Redken. I don't want to jeopardize that. Yeah, yeah, so sure. I'm void that they don't have, which is electricals, thermals. You're looking right. at current cell irons. You're looking at brushes, shears, scissors, uh, combs, um, blow dryers. Yes, everything electrical. Now, we are not in Europe. And the reason being is because we're not um, adaptable for right. Europe. Right, electrical, but hard tools in terms of uh, shears, scissors, combs, brushes, things like that. They can definitely get that on the website at www.samvia.com. Yeah, okay, fantastic. But other than the website, uh, what what are your social handles? Where can people uh, connect with you and find out more about what you're doing and and where you are? Okay, when you want to find out where I'm at, please go to uh, make sure you go to the education tab, and you can do that on the website or. Follow me on social. The handles are Sam Via Hair and Sam Via Professional. Okay, and it's Via. I'll, I'll put the links in my show notes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it's Via is spelled V I double L A. That's so, correct. That's yeah, correct. and if you can't spell Sam, there you have a bigger problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, listen, Sam. Any uh, any final uh, words here before um, uh, we do our little wrap up at the end? Well, you know, I want to thank you, first of all, for the opportunity to speak to your audience. And, uh, you know, when you see me out there, do me a favor, my friends, come up, say hi. Let's talk about the industry. You know, if I'm helping you out, please share that. If there's something I can do to help you out, please share that also. But once again, over the many years that I've been in the industry, over 40 years, so many people have shared so many things with me. I just choose to stand in front of people and pay it forward and stand in front of them motivated by the passion to teach. I'm not a rock star. I'm not a genius. I'm not a visionary. I'm not an inventor. I'm a hairdresser who is proud to be a teacher. Fantastic. You couldn't say it any better than that. So, uh, Sam Veer, I just want to thank you very much for giving us the time and sharing your, uh, your insights, your wisdom, and your, your passion with the audience at the Grow My Salon Business podcast. So, Sam Veer, thank you very much. Thank you, Anthony. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.